right now, it's time for the Tech EU Drive at 5 with Robin Bouters and Dan Taylor. Let's do this. Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is the Tech EU Drive at 5. I am your host, Dan Taylor, not Nick Stevens, Robin Vouchers, Kate Lawrence, or Fiona Alston. And we are the donuts you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's safe to say we're all rested and recovered. At least I am. I mean, Nick and I had a shit ton of beer last night. And uh, I think we're doing all right. I mean, I topped out at 9.8%. What did you, you went for a 15? No, 13 and a half. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. A 13 and a half percent Pilsner, lager. What was that? That was a uh, stout, a double mm. imperial stout. Double Hold on, imperial were, stout. Were you, were you guys drinking together or was it like COVID-19? Oh, no, no, no. no. We drink alone, but with other people <laughs> together. Yeah, uh, COVID-19 way. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Hey, I, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that we all uh, upped our alone drinking skills over the live at the office uh, time. But listen, I mean, it is Friday, so I'm not going to lie. There probably will be some drinking this evening as well. But hey, Fiona, let's talk about sex. Yeah, talking about doing things alone during COVID. <laughs> <Talk> um, <laughs> brilliant segue. Take it away, Fiona Alston, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Yeah, so I want to talk about sex tech this week because um, we are starting to see uh, more and more panels, people in like tech conferences talking about sex tech on panels, which is great to see. And they are starting to uh, be there at the startup booths as well. So this week, our own Kate uh, wrote a piece about Quinky, which is a company who has developed an app giving sex education through gamification for Gen Z's, uh, they raised a uh, hundred grand from Outler, um, and they Outler also funds sex tech companies like Blueheart and Bumpin. So, Kate, what did you learn from your experience of talking to them as like a sex tech company? I think the thing that really got me was that there's a gap there, and while you know the sex ed I had at school was fairly inadequate to put it mildly that's still the case for a lot of people and i know one of the the cto i spoke to he was actually sharing his experience for example of growing up in lebanon and you know didn't even know how to put a condom on because they didn't teach those sorts of things so the fact that you know there's the argument that oh you know people get all their sex uh, education from porn it's not true and i think that there's a really interesting um we'll see some really interesting kind of leaps in this space where people are looking at a, a wider definition of, of sex and sexuality and, ge- and gender diversity as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of people doing some really great things in this space, but mostly it's about educating people that sex tech is not what you're seeing in porn or films like Fifty Shades of Grey, that it's sometimes an educational tool or it also helps with uh, sexual healthy pleasure, which I'll talk about in a minute. So um, I had a quick look at the stats and it says that the global sex tech market is uh, estimated last year that it was worth uh, three, oh, sorry, $31.4 billion um, and it's expected to reach $36.6 billion this year. So one of my favorite people to follow in this space is Dominic Caritsos. She's the founder and CEO of Healthy Pleasure Group. Um, They are a global outfit dedicated to the sexual health and technology industry. And I actually met Dominique 
a few years ago at the Web Summit, um, they had a startup booth there and uh, the technology that they were peddling that day was um, a device that women put on the outside of their vagina. And what it does was it would show the women their pleasure zones because a lot of women actually don't know them or they may have forgotten where they get pleasure from. Could be because they just lost the mojo after childbirth, could be they're going through menopause or just they don't have a great relationship with their partner. And devices like that aren't just to stimulate women, but they're also educational devices for their partners as well so they can learn the zones to maybe give them a little pleasure while they're having sex. Anyway, um, Dominique, she is really great to listen to. Uh, this morning I was listening to um, a talk that she did at a recent startup event in Tartu in Estonia. I'll put that in the show notes so you can go and listen to her. But there's a couple of things that she says, and it's a little bit of a shock factor sometimes, but like she said that we are, after all, the IP branch of the oldest industry in the world, sex. And when you think about it, where did we all come from, you know? So uh, the other thing is that giving social permission and confidence to ask for what people want in the bedroom also transcends to the boardroom. So if you were listening to this and you weren't already interested in the healthy pleasure before, then maybe that's pricked your ears because um, there is a direct correlation with the pleasure of sex to giving confidence and then confidence at work, as we know, is key. So um, a little extra learning in this space. Um, A good friend of mine, Elaine Burke, did a very in-depth piece on sex tech and the different areas of sex tech in the Business Post Connected magazine at the weekend. And I'll also link that into the show notes. And that's all I got. And that's the news from Fiona Alston. Thank you for that. (laughs) I'm sorry, Fiona. Fiona, you said the name Dominic Carrot Sauce and I heard Carrot Sauce. And I looked at your notes and it actually says <laughs> you're supposed to pronounce it carrot sauce. Yeah. I know, but that no, but that's how I was pronouncing it. And then I didn't want to get stuck on it because I appreciate that Dan doesn't have to edit everything I say all the time. <laughs> I love that. Well I it's that. Ca- it carrot. I mean I'm looking at it. It's K-A-R-E-T-S-O-S. Carrot sauce. Carrot Here. sauce. There's a broadcast journalism tip for you. If you get stuck on a name, just <laughs> write it out phonetically as you're going to say it. Oh, we've all we've all done that. <laughs> Carrot sauce. Well, yeah. In, in all honesty, thanks for that, Fiona. I mean, I you know, I've I've, I've I, to this day, I'm still puzzled why sex is a taboo topic. I mean, it's something we all do. We all have. At least I hope all of us have. And and and, and it's really not getting the money or the attention. You know, it's 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 kind of been always been a a sort of backroom kind of thing. And I personally am happy to see uh, more and more, uh, you know, talking about it and bringing it out into the public. I mean, I remember who, uh, what was it? Stephanie Elise from Mystery Vibe, right? I mean, she was one of the first people that I ever saw stand on stage. And I think it was at the Next Web or maybe even Slush. And she delivered a talk that absolutely blew my socks off. And, and the room was speechless. Like you could see everyone in the room was going, Finally, somebody is fucking talking about this. So, great. I'm I'm all for it. Moving on to a topic less sexy or more the same sex uh, money, sex, death, and money. Right? Those those are the three. Right? Those are the big three. Moving on to money, Robin. Yeah, indeed. Speaking uh, speaking of sex and sexy, uh, guess what's become sexy again? 
Profitability. Profitability, baby, yeah. Particularly in the wonderful world of uh, fintech. Um, First of all, British digital bank Monzo, they've hit profitability for the first time, uh, hitting monthly profitability in the first two months of this year, a little bit more than 350 million pounds for the financial year. Um, that they that they've had, uh, so that's that's a good evolution, I would say. Uh, then Tandem Bank, which was less in the news about it, but they've also hit uh, profitability. Their first full year profit in 2022, as retail deposits more than doubled uh, to 1.8 billion pounds over there. So that's good news. Then Klarna, the Swedish, uh, of course, buy now pay later company, and increasingly many more things than that, but uh, well-known as to be the BNPL uh, leader in Europe and beyond. Uh, They've recently unveiled that they halved their net losses in the first quarter as well, uh, recording a significant improvement in their bottom line. And and Klarna CEO, Sebastian Siemiatowski, he said in a statement that the company is now on track to achieve, let's hear it. Profitability. Sex. Profitability (laughs) uh, this year as well. Uh, meanwhile, Revolut, uh, they're definitely not profitable yet, uh, but they've announced uh, this week reaching over 30 million retail customers, uh, making about 400 million transactions a month. So that's uh, quite, a, quite a leap. Nick Storonsky, the co-founder and CEO, also said that Revolut is now adding about a million customers a month, uh, which is, of course, nothing to sneeze at. And I wouldn't be Robin if I didn't also talk about the bad stuff. Um, it's not all rainbows and butterflies out there. Uh, TaxFix, uh, based in Berlin, they leaped to a billion-dollar valuation back in 2022. Um, but fast forward to this year, and the Berlin-based accounting startups, uh, they've laid off 20% of their staff, uh, reported by TechCrunch. That's about 120 employees as part of a wider restructuring of the business aimed at cutting costs. And uh, less well-known, but there was a Berlin startup called Vitamin, uh, basically delivering an app for empowering women to drive their financial futures, uh, which I thought was an interesting experiment at the time when they launched two and a half years ago. Uh, but they folded. So the CEO and co-founder, Andrea Fernandez, uh, said they tried to raise capital in the last few months. They were unsuccessful. So vitamin is no more. And that's it for me. Is that is that vitamin or vitamin? What's the difference? Um, Vitamin Kate, is like the Kate. one is German. British, one's Australian. Yeah. <laughs> is it really? Well, yeah. I think the the Americans say vitamin, oh. the Brits say vitamin. We say vitamin. And, mm. Well, as as I am in the process of obtaining my indefinite leave to remain, that's going to be vitamin, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I have to say, Robin, I'm most impressed that you got Sebastian Simiatekowski without having to spell it out. Carrot sauce. <laughs> Right. It's easy. All right. Well, well, it is. It is looking. It. it some things are looking good for fintech. Uh, some things are not looking so good for fintech. But uh, hey, Nick, do I know anything about fintech? Uh, I'm not sure you do. But do you know who does know about fintech? You know who knows about fintech? John Reynolds. John Reynolds knows about fintech. And if you're not uh, picking up what I'm laying down, folks, we have launched a new series of podcasts titled What Do You Know About Fintech? Uh, And we have a guest contributor, John Reynolds, who did some bang-up long-form pieces for us. Uh, He delivered his first podcast yesterday where he spoke to Bunk CEO Ali Nicknam. And amongst things, he got Ali to admit why he's a bad boss. Now, coming from the second largest private 
uh, uh, Neo Bank in Europe. That's a that's an interesting, interesting interview. So if you haven't heard it, head on over to the TechEU podcast section on your favorite outlet, and be sure to like, subscribe. Uh, tell your mom, tell your brother, tell your dog if you want. I don't really care. Just keep on listening. Orange is the new black. Does everybody remember that? Yeah. I did do. anybody yes. finish it? I didn't I did. finish it. Nope. You I, fin- I didn't start it. I finished it. You didn't start, Nick. Who doesn't like a uh, chocolate and vanilla swirl? I don't understand what that means, but I never <laughs> finished watching Orange <laughs> is the I, I never I never finished watching Orange is the New Black. The first season had me, the second season sort of, and then I don't know what, maybe the pandemic happened. I don't know. But uh, according to Kate, creative equity is the new investment. Very true. So you might have heard of sweat equ- equity, which is the idea, I guess, of a, um, I don't know, a company or a consultancy or a boutique agency providing services in kind for a company. So it could be, for example, financial services or something like that. They either provide them at a nominal cost or for free in return for future equity. But now something I'm um, we're starting to see more of is creative equity. It's something that kind of came out of the US, but now there's a company that has an office in London and also in Los Angeles called Anne Rising. And it's now launched a um, I guess, a, a creative equity or creative venture arm to its service provisions. So basically, their kind of market is a little bit startups, but also quite a bit scale-ups. So looking at what happens when companies are in a position of wanting to wanting to expand their market, um, expand their customer base, expand their investment and so forth. And they were really finding that there was a real gap between what they had seen with their work um, with sort of bigger companies and bigger organizations compared to what the um, the real, you know, problem solving gap was that there was for these particular scale ups. So I spoke to um, one of the founders of Enrising, um, Adrian Nick- Little, and she basically explained to me that they've got um, about 10 companies that they invest in currently. And that's sort of a mix between those scale ups and startups. And within that they kind of started out looking at the um, food and service or, or food and drink beverage kind of area, you know, fast-moving consumer goods, so packaged foods, things that you could either sell direct to customer or in a, in a shop. But they've more recently kind of expanded to looking at um, fintech and also um, health tech. So some of their clients include um, a bunch of companies like Seedlip, Duolingo on the, in, the, in the earlier days, Beam, Simply Roasted, Millicent Labs, and a laser cleaning company that cleans trains, which I thought was kind of interesting. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you said laser cleaning company that cleans trains. Correct. How the heck does that work? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's like when you go, oh, I, I want to I want to expand my reach from those fast-moving consumer goods. I'm going to go for cleaning trains. <laughs> pew, pew. I kind of like All that. Right. I think that's great. <laughs> and so the problem they solve is a really nice one. It's basically the realization that these, as companies get bigger, um, they realize a couple of things. One is that they're... I guess their initial mission or their their drive or their messaging may have changed dramatically, particularly if they're trying to enter new markets, which is might be a new country, for example. Secondly, they find that the um, the crossing over from being a niche brand to maybe a household name is 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 very difficult. So, 
Um, and rising is, you know, sets itself up to provide service provision in these areas, working with custom, working with their um, both their boutique boutique agency clients, but also these companies they've invested in as well. And another thing the custom, the company does, which is kind of interesting, is they also do a creative retreat. So um, they have one coming up in I think it's September October, and it's sort of a retreat with involved with you know healthy food and outdoor living and all that sort of stuff. So I I think this diversification of services is really interesting, and this idea that you know what what is an investor is not you know what it used to be of a dude in a suit in an office. It has become something a bit more expansive. I think when we look at this sort of creative equity area, I think we can see a lot more um, expansion into other sort of niche areas, maybe creative filmmaking or more PR agencies, design studios, graphic designing, things like that. So I think it's one to definitely keep an eye out for. Well, I, so I'm going to say that that creative retreat is the antithesis of, uh, let's just say, Pollen's retreats, for example. Oh, yeah? What happens at Pollen's retreats? No, nobody knows what I'm talking about? Uh, oh, go, go, no. Go check, go check the uh, the uh, event company Pollen. If you haven't seen it, go, uh-huh. go just Google uh, Business Insider and Pollen. It's a very interesting read. But uh, speaking of getting away, you you also got your hands on you know and and you know you got you got your hands on get your guides 194 million and I just I took one look at that and I and I put this tweet out and I said I mean like could nobody spare an extra six million I mean my OCD is going nuts with this so like they couldn't get an extra six million somewhere for a nice round number. Well, I mean, it's really funny when someone who raises 190 million, 90, sorry, 194 million, says to you, "Oh, I know it's a bit less than our last round." It's like <laughs> that's a nice problem to have, you know? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they they'd previously raised 886.2 million, so this is a big chunk of money put together. And if anyone's, I don't know if anyone has used Get Your Guide. It's basically kind of curated tours of local areas. So like when you go on holiday, for example, and you want to go and see something local, you want to see the sites, but you don't want to do like a big bus tour or something like that. Has anybody um, here booked any of the trips? Generally, I use it all the time and I used it uh, two days ago to book a tour. How was your experience? I love Get You Guys. Quick anecdote. I booked a tour in Istanbul a couple months ago went very bad. I didn't even ask for a refund, but just put in a complaint and I got a full refund without asking. <laughs> That's so pretty great good customer service. service. I keep seeing their ads on YouTube. And mm. whenever I see a company's ads on YouTube, I think, man, have they either jumped the shark or there goes the marketing budget. But I guess with $194 million fresh, uh, they're, they're, they're all right. What do they got, Kate? Like 75,000 experiences? Yeah, it's a... It's a sizable number, and there's over 16,000 people that are providing the tours at that local level. I mean, I've been on a few myself. I've been to some in um, Las Palmas in Gran Canaria. Um, I went on one to see street art in Paris once. I went to Auschwitz with a with a guide, which is a kind of you know kind of need some help there. Um, so there's loads of really interesting tours. I think one thing that really struck me for the company is, you know, this is a company fundraising after a pandemic, you know, it's travel. Um, you think travel would be the, the industry where everybody closed down and probably a lot of people did. They were able to kind of write it out. They, they cut a few staff, but not that many in on the scale of things. And, you know, now they've come back strong They you know, they've used that time to sort of work on that digital experience, embedding the AI into their, 
services. So it's you know it, it stops errors when you're you know you're entering a, a trip like, the, like at the back end, but also just things like um, you know so you can really um, search as a as a customer for those curated experiences down to you know I'm. I don't know. I'm a family. I'm, I, I, we like sports. We're going to be in this place. The, the weather is sunny. What can we get? So I think that's pretty cool. And, I mean, what they're kind of looking at now, I mean, it's interesting because with all that money, the company is not fully profitable. They have profitable regions, but they're not everywhere. And their biggest competitor, strangely, is actually those non-digital tourist services. Like, you know, when you go somewhere and there's someone in a, um, I don't know, a city square and they're offering tours free tours that you, you know, you pay for at the end or whatever. Um, so they guess their, their kind of reach area is um, North America. So it'll be really interesting to see what they're able to do over there. Well, that should be interesting to see how they plan on going head to head with Map of the Stars houses, because I actually have done that <laughs> tour. And uh, I think Robin has something to add. No, I was just going to say that Johannes also joined us last week for the mm. Tech U Summit, which took place on Wednesday, 24 That's May. Right. Uh, in Brussels Expo, thank you for asking. Uh, but Johannes was there and he uh, joined the panel on scaling uh, <laughs> companies, which I thought was very interesting. Next Ooh. week, we're going to process all the videos and publish them online. So that will be one of the first to be released. So. There we go. For those of you that have been bombarding my inbox, there you have it. Next week, videos. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Kate. I mean, uh, it looks like I'm going to have to get my hands on Get My Guide and get out of the house, although I, I'm turning more and more of a hermit these days. I, I go out to get beer, basically. Uh, but Nick, what would a week be without some AI exciting news? And as you called it, was it last week? Uh, NVIDIA, now a member of the Trillion Dollar Club. No, they're not. Oh, not anymore. Shit. Well, well, update me then. <laughs> Nick Stevens on soundboard, ladies and gentlemen. Nick Stevens. Yeah, actually, Dan, you're you're kind of right. They uh, they did briefly join the Trillion Dollar Boys Club, and then it rebounded, and they're not quite there anymore. But they do get to claim that. And you know, I'm not a fan of uh, uh, vanity metrics, but if you're going to go for a vanity metric, a trillion dollar market cap is is definitely a, a prestigious club that uh, not very many companies have ever been a part of. Um, they were uh, the fifth largest company in the world temporarily. Um, but more interesting than that, uh, just well, after well, that happened, they doubled down on their AI uh, chips business uh, with a large announcement. And uh, it's too much to tell you in this podcast, but I can tell you now, gaming is never going to be the same um, with the direction they're going in. And one of the uh, demonstrations they gave during their keynote was uh, non-playable characters in games. So, you know, that's that's the ones that are you know, usually scripted uh, by the game developers that are actually now connected to an AI model. So, uh, you know, instead of just having to figure out what you will ask that character to try and get the information out of it. You can basically ask it anything now, and it has its own script, of course, but it can also just conjure up anything and everything you might imagine. So that's um, that's a pretty big playing field to be opening up, and uh, NVIDIA obviously making the chips and uh, uh, some other software to make that happen. But wow. it doesn't stop at gaming. Um, they also talked about uh, some of their chips that will now, uh, sorry, enable from two-dimensional devices. So uh, think about your smartphone. And we've seen some technology on the latest iPhones, for example, where you can uh, you know, scan a, 
a room and it will make a 3D model out of it. They're pretty clunky, but uh, what NVIDIA is letting us see is uh, pretty amazing for the future of handheld consumer devices. Talking of prestigious stuff, AI made the uh, front cover of uh, Time magazine this week, um, which is obviously not uh, uh, something that uh, software usually does. Usually it's a a person uh, or a very large topic. So uh, AI made the cover and uh, they wrote a really interesting article. Dan, I'm sure you'll uh, put a link into the uh, show notes. Um, We all know there's been a lot of talk recently about how AI is exploding and going to take over the world and kill us all. And uh, there's a lot of comparisons to the arms race the arms race being, of course, every country upping their technological uh, warfare capabilities in order to uh, not lag behind the rest. And that way we are assured mutually uh, mutual destruction, and <laughs> therefore it'll never happen, theoretically. And uh, what I really enjoyed about this article is that they uh, made a really good case that it's nothing like an arms race. And um, to cut it short, they think, and I, I kind of agree with this, that if we don't treat it like an arms race and that if every company just slowed the crap down and focused on their own game, uh, things will be uh, much better than we could imagine, much sooner than we can imagine. So that's a really good article if you want a bit of a long read. Um, And that leads nicely into, there was another big letter signed this week, 350 top experts all around the world writing a letter to governments um, on uh, the risks of AI, and specifically, and I quote, about mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. Um, not sure where these letters are, uh, are going and whether they're going to have any impact or not. But what I find, and I uh, quoted on uh, or, or mentioned on Twitter this week, is I find it a little bit odd that all these large companies and top experts are begging for regulation uh, on, on the sorts of things that are still a long way off. But at the same time, they're not uh, begging for regulation on things like AI, <laughs> and, you know, the stuff that's actually happening today, misinformation, that kind of stuff. And that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because it sounds like the big boys are trying to uh, get a monopoly, kill the open source market, kill the small developer market. And that's where the good stuff from AI could genuinely come from. So I'm not, uh, not sure where I feel about all these uh, big letters from it, you know. Don't worry, they get they got lost in the mail anyway. Don't worry. Probably. Also, a quick side note that Sam Altman has made it to Brussels uh, yesterday and today, so he's meeting with officials and regulators all day. Uh, I saw him in a meeting with Eva Maidel, the member of European Parliament that also opened our summit last week. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have a lot to discuss. Remind us again why he wasn't at the Tech EU summit. Uh, I couldn't work out his agenda. He told me over Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm assuming, Robin, he's going to stop by your office today for a cup of coffee just to uh, make up for it. You mean my home office? Yeah, he's walking yes. in, in my garden. Speaking of uh, Sam Altman, that's a really lovely segue into OpenAI, who are not slowing down in any way, shape, or form. Um, they did confirm or, or allegedly confirm that uh, uh, GPT-5 is not yet being worked on. Of course, that could mean that they're working directly on GPT-6. You never know. Um, but one thing they did this week that I thought was really interesting is they've launched a cybersecurity grant program. So that's a million-dollar initiative to boost and quantify AI-powered cybersecurity capabilities to foster high-level AI and cybersecurity discourse. They're going to make grants available at a $10,000 or equivalent basis, and anybody who's interested in that can start applying today. Pretty sure that million will be gone very quickly. Um, 
AI in cybersecurity is a hot topic, of course. Mm. Something I also spotted on Twitter from OpenAI, Logan Kilpatrick, uh, Logan K. GPT on uh, Twitter, has been doing a lot of customer development on Twitter, asking uh, plugin developers what they need from OpenAI, taking all that information and putting in their roadmap. I am a huge fan of that. I think a lot of, well, OpenAI is not a startup anymore, but I think a lot of companies could do well of uh, looking at that kind of community uh, level engagement uh, to figure out what they need to do next. A couple of quick points and then I'll wrap it up. Italy uh, made a shocking move um, after banning and then unbanning and uh, putting OpenAI ChatGPT on notice for lots of privacy-related stuff recently. Italy has turned around and established their own state-funded funding for fostering AI startups, which uh, is interesting uh, given their uh, history there. So uh, let's see where that goes. Robin, I see you uh, nodding. I mean, I keep interrupting you, but Jesus, what kind of... Does anyone think it's a coincidence that they banned OpenAI very publicly <laughs> with a lot of noise? And they just waited one week and announced like a state-backed fund to finance AI. Well, they, well, they, well they banned it, then they brought it back, and then, yeah, now they're going to pump money yeah. into AI. Or is it... It makes you wonder who they were talking to, you know? Like who was giving mm. them that, that advice? Or uh, maybe the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing in government. Wouldn't that be a shot? Speaking of governments, uh, Japan uh, has made a really surprising move that could um, upset the balance across the world. Uh, their government has recently uh, stated that they will not be enforcing copyright on data used in AI training. This has, of course, been a hot topic for uh, a lot of people, particularly in the creative and artistic sen- sector, who are saying, you know, all of their uh, work. People like Dan, for example, with all his photographs have been swallowed up by AI. Mm. You know, you can take photographs like Dan Taylor. I assume (laughs) the other Dan Taylor. And uh, Japan has gone uh, full on and said, no, we're not going to enforce copyright on uh, that stuff. They're putting policy in that uh, says, and I quote, regardless of whether it is for nonprofit or commercial purpose, whether it is an act other than reproduction or whether it is content obtained from illegal sites or otherwise, you will not be enforcing. Uh, if that remains true and they remain the only country to take that stance, then I could imagine a lot of AI companies coincidentally setting up a Japanese office to make sure that their training can be done in such a way that, uh, you know, they can read all of the internet for free without repercussions. So basically, if it's on the internet, it's fair game. Uh, in Japan or from Japan or with a VPN that goes through a Japanese right. IP or something. I don't right. know. Interesting move. Let's see how the rest of the world follows up on that. And then just a fun, and, and I guess it's not really funny, but it made me laugh like a drain. Um, Chat GPT lied in court in the US. Uh, there was an attorney, Stephen Schwartz, who uh, submitted his brief with assistance from GPT, Chat GPT against uh, Avianica, a Colombian airline. And um, of course, Chat GPT doing what it does, hallucinated a whole bunch of uh, research. Uh, law cases and um, <laughs> jurisprudence that went into this brief. And uh, yeah, Avianca, uh, their legal team obviously had to go through all of that as part of discovery and realized that these fabrications did not exist in reality. They couldn't find the legal cases that had been cited in any legal databases anywhere in the world. And the uh, judge in that case did not find that funny. And Mr. Schwartz had to basically admit that he had used ChatGPT. And that he had even asked ChatGPT, are these cases real? And ChatGPT said, yes, absolutely sure they are real. Uh 
and uh, he went forward. So um, he's looking a little bit stupid this week. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that what paralegals do is check the validity of such things? Yes, but yes. if GPT is your paralegal, then mm. you can't trust it. Circular error. And um, based on that story, it just occurred to me, have you ever realized what the opposite of artificial intelligence is? Human intelligence. Dan Taylor. <laughs> oh, close, Dan. Uh, the opposite of artificial intelligence must be real stupid. Ah, And I'm going to cut him off right there. Thank you very much, Nick, for all that is AI this week. Uh, we are running long, so I'm going to take mine very short. Uh, hey, Kate, you remember that little investment firm called Hedonova? I do, yes. And that that fake <laughs> startup that they invested or did or did not invest $16 million in that we're still waiting for them for, to reply yeah, to your interview request. I should add, they're still going. I mean, they recently announced, I think it was a COO from previously from Deutsche Bank, who right. funnily enough, for, for someone at that level, has no LinkedIn profile. Wow. Do you think well, it, there's a reason for that? Well, how about that? I mean, that, okay, so that story, you broke that story at the end of March. Correct. Fast forward less than three months later, and uh, Jeff... We all remember Jeff, right? Jeff. Oh, we love we love the Jeff folks. The uh, laundry and washing, and I guess other stuff. They were going to get into hairdressing services and gym services. Basically, it's a entrepreneur in a box. That was what they were pitching. So you you buy in and you get a whole kit of how to set up your own business. Well, uh, back in I guess it was February. Yeah, beginning of February. I reported on a funding round that they had closed that would have been a Series C at 90 million euros. Well, uh, according to a report from Jesus Martinez at, Robin, help me out with the pronunciation, La Información. La Información. La Información. Uh, they broke the story. They scooped it. Uh, apparently, that 90 million uh, euro Series C never happened. And uh, the company has filed for bankruptcy. A couple weeks ago, I reached out to CEO Elwa Gomez. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, because I just wanted to follow up on that. It, you know, when I when I wrote the story, it seemed a bit funny to me as it was. Uh, so I reached out to him for comment, got nothing. Asked a couple people to do some introductions that knew him. Uh, nothing, nothing. And then the news came out yesterday that uh, yeah, they have filed for bankruptcy. And the real kicker here is that. The remaining employees at Jeff, apparently they did a round of layoffs a while back. Uh, they were down to a skeleton crew, but uh, it would appear that nobody at Jeff has gotten paid in the last nine months. You know, when when suppliers don't get paid, that's one thing. When, when you know, the electricity bill doesn't get paid, that's another thing. But when you don't pay your employees, uh, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I, I personally get my back up on shit like that. And so... Uh, Really, honestly, Mr. Gomez, uh, go fuck yourself because you should have been paying your employees. And that's all I got to say about that. Nine months. Now, I I do want to say at the time of the fake announcement, uh, Gomez uh, uh, is quoted as saying, quote, this investment operation. Now, the word operation should have been a, a red flag right there. This investment operation not only solves our current situation, but also allows us to have years of stability and sufficient capital to be able to continue developing our vision based on profitability. 
Exactly. Thank you, Nick. Also in the report uh, was revealed that the company also has numerous ongoing lawsuits in Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil. Uh, so, yeah, Jeff uh, just decided to throw in the towel. And uh, if experience tells me anything, they'll probably just walk away from this. And a bunch of employees got fucked over. So, again, Jeff, Mr. Gomez, go fuck yourself. And that's all the news from my side. Robin, I know you've got one more thing, and it is big news. Robin, with some positive news. Yeah, so interestingly, uh, this week, Europe uh, kicked off a couple of new uh, support measures to help deep tech uh, innovators and future deep tech innovators to scale up their businesses. Uh, They've launched an initiative in uh, Stockholm called the EIC Scale Up 100. Uh, It's essentially an initiative that aims to support the growth of 100 promising deep tech companies uh, on their journeys to become unicorns, which the European Commission is still quite obsessed about for whatever reason. Um, There's also something called the EIC Scaling Club that's essentially sort of a side project uh, that will bring together 100 investors, 100 mentors, 100 corporate innovators, and also 100 agencies, clusters, and media companies um, to essentially sort of help Uh, in conjunction with one another, help these deep tech companies uh, scale across the board. Um, We sort of soft announced this last week at the TechEU Summit, but TechEU is part of that EIC scaling club, uh, together with the likes of Hello Tomorrow, BPI France, TechTour, IESE Business School over in Spain, uh, and a number of other partners uh, to essentially, you know, bring this EIC scaling club to life and, and you know, make it make it a vibrant thing over the next two and a half, three years. So we're quite looking forward to that, uh, uh, to working on that together with our partners. So uh, more announcements uh, and on our involvement coming soon. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, that is always positive news for the European ecosystem. And listen, I know, Fiona, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. I know... It's one more thing, but it's quickly turning into Robin's two more things. The dad joke of the week from Robin Vouters, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Dan, for the tee up. Um, so I've sort of made the mistake of looking up tech-related dad jokes on the internet for this one. Man, they're so awful. One says, why did the computer keep sneezing? Because it has a virus. The other one said something like, why did the developer cross the roads to get to the other side? Uh, it was awful. But then I found... <laughs> Then I found one. <laughs> oh, wow, that worked. <laughs> Man, yeah, I should have used that one. one. <laughs> no, it definitely did not work. Uh, well, <laughs> it wasn't my joke. I didn't invent it. But um, one, one that sort of stuck out for me was this one. Uh, yeah, I saw a great film about databases today. I'm looking forward to the sequel. That one I, I kind of appreciate it. <laughs> And on that bombshell, that's all the time we have for this week's Drive at Five. As always, my name is Dan Taylor. Yours is not. I've been joined by Kate Lawrence on drums, Fiona on ukulele, Nick Stevens on soundboard, and Robin's underwater. I would say bass, but Roger Waters is in some hot water, and we're just going to cross him off the list. So Robin on tambourine this week? Tambourine. All right. That's it for us this week, folks. Have a great weekend. Let's go drink some beers. We are out of here. Well, that's exactly what I was doing. Okay.
fucking hell. That's what I would have said to you. I'm going to hit the stop button right now. I should have hit the stop button ages ago.